We're in a we're in a series talking about discipleship, and uh, with discipleship, we're talking about some really simple rhythms um, that help us become the people that God's called us to be. Uh, there's lots of ways to think about this, but these are the ways that we've thought about it. Uh, we talk about growing spiritually. Um, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the importance of showing up and showing up to worship, uh, showing up to the presence of God, spending time in Scripture, spending time in prayer, spending time learning together uh, through the reading and teaching of Scripture. We talked about the importance of reaching intentionally, that, that our faith shouldn't be kept under a, a, a bushel. No, if you know that old, that old song, which is, of course, Scripture. Uh, but it, we should be living our lives publicly for people to see that we should be displaying our faith in appropriate ways and allowing ourselves to build relationships with people out in the world and, and show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We talked about the importance of serving regularly, what it means to give of our time and what it means to give of our talent, what it means to give of ourselves. And I'm so grateful for all the servants um, and uh, who, who continue to give. And then last week, we talked about giving generously. I, I got a little excited. So uh, if you weren't here, I think it'll be on the podcast eventually. And um, But uh, we talked about really how, how, how powerful money is in our lives. And, and in the process of being generous, we actually can experience deep freedom that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Today, I want to talk about this other rhythm, this way of life that helps us become more like Jesus, and it's, it's this idea of connecting racial, relationally. And I, and I think all of these things, um, we'll talk about cross, uh, engaging cross-culturally next week, but all of these six things are... Um, are really important because I think in the midst of life, it can become really confusing. And you're like, what? how do I do this? And what's life really about? And if, if 2020 and 2021 has been anything for most of us, it's been a disorienting time. And you kind of lose those natural rhythms of what it means to just be alive. And, and I know some of you kind of were able to keep a lot of your rhythms, but others kind of moved into this very disorienting season. And you asking the question, at least I was asking the question, like, what, what am I doing here? And these six things are just really good things to go back to. Growing spiritually, reaching intentionally, um, you know, serving regularly, giving generously, and today, connecting relationally. Back when we were um, uh, first launching the church, um, I uh, I didn't know I was an introvert, and uh, I'm I'm a fairly outgoing personality, and I've I've had um uh you know a fair amount of um I don't know if you'd say success or recognition in life, and I created a certain level of of false confidence in my life. So so I didn't know I was a, an introvert because I, I thought you know to be successful you had to be an extrovert, and uh, but we were charged as a planning of churches to go meet lots of people. So I was really trying to do that. I found it very disorienting very quickly. Um, meeting people I found to be very exhausting, especially meeting new people. I'm not actually great meeting people. Um, if you're a visitor here today, don't chit-chat with me after service. I will say something wrong, and uh, you might not want to come back. But I'm really a great guy. I just sometimes don't know what is appropriate to say. I'll share more about that uh, later. But um, uh, so fair warning. <laughs> um, and uh, um, Alyssa's much better at it, and she usually corrects me. So um, And I I'm grateful for that, but she's not here today, friends, so watch out. And uh, so I, I was going to a lot of places where I'd meet new people, and one of them was a, a poetry night. I, I happened to love creative writing. I used to write a lot of poetry, and I, I was going to go to this poetry night at this little bar on campus, and I, I show up, and I was so nervous. So I had written a little poem, and I was wondering, uh, deciding whether I was going to read it. <laughs> and uh, I've never been here before in my life, but there was a certain pressure. I was like, I should read this poem out loud. I hadn't done it since college. I read poetry. And, um, but, I, but I felt pressure, and so I started getting anxious. And I wasn't even going to go in, but, 
but I did. I went into this place, and it was a just a you know a dingy, dark bar with the you know the sticky floors and the sticky tables. You, you know the kind I'm talking about. I mean, it's on campus. I'm walking in, and I I'm a little early. I have no one else is there yet. I have no idea what to expect, and I'm so nervous. Uh, I find a seat. I maybe get a drink. I don't even remember. Um, I'm sitting down, and I remember just thinking, "Am I? I think I was supposed to have like an entry fee, but they weren't taking the entry fee yet, and so like I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to pay someone or do I go to a bar to pay, and and I wasn't sure when it was going to start or how it worked or how you sign up, and I was experiencing all this all this anxiety because I just didn't know what to expect. What I realized, I was I realized this moment, I was like, I don't know their liturgy, which is which is a fancy word for it means work of the people it's a church word it regards to how we organize ourselves how we uh, organize a service or a, a worship experience it's our liturgy i didn't understand this poetry night's liturgy and halfway through um i'm i'm listening i decide i'm not going to share because i i just it felt like such an outsider nobody introduced themselves to me no one explained what was going on or why it was going on and i and i eventually left and i had this profound moment after that experience where i said you know what I wonder if that's what it feels like to show up to church if you've never been. Now, I grew up in church. I've never been a part of a church where I didn't know the leadership. My dad was a pastor. Eventually, I became a pastor. I went to a few other churches, but they were connected with our university where I knew the pastor. I've never been to a part of a church where I didn't have direct access to the pastor. So church is very normal for me, and I've been to a lot of different liturgical places. I went to one church that was very different. It's a couple places that were very different. A little bit of speaking in tongues. That threw me off. And uh, this really traditional church where they had people stand in a circle and pray together, and I was a visitor. So that was a little disorienting. I think we might do that later, by the way, but just kidding. But generally speaking, church is comfortable for me. But I show up this place, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And I wonder if that's how sometimes people feel when they show up to church, and they don't know what's going on. Recently, though, I had the chance to go to my son's kindergarten orientation. That's a moment. I walk up to this big old school. He's going to go to Indianola uh, Informal, Indianola Alternative. And I walk up to this big old school. The building doesn't look informal at all. I mean, it's very, very formal looking building. And uh, we're going to go in and we're going to learn about this. And it was, it was a different experience because as I was waiting for Alyssa, my wife, and Finn to arrive, all of these people started standing in line. And it was like a convention of people my age <laughs> with kids my age. It was like, I was like, these are all of my peers. And I couldn't help but think, I wonder which one of these people are going to be my friends. This is how I was thinking. Now, I need Alyssa to make that possible, but, you know, I'm still kind of like, I'm thinking, which one of these people are going to be my friends? So I kind of have a totally different experience right from the beginning. I'm like, I, want, I want to make, and you know what? Daycare isn't a great place to make friends. There isn't a social expectation. I didn't know any parents at Finn's Daycare, even though he went there for like two or three years. But, but school, I feel like there's a social expectation. You get to know parents. If that's not the case, don't tell me. You're going to bust, you know, ruin my, my hopes. So we go into the place, and I sit down, and one of the things that's big at this school is building community. And the principal and the teacher, parent liaison, and, and some of the other parents who are there are talking about how it's not just about learning, but it's about building community, and not just with the kids, but with the parents. And, and I was, like, getting all excited. And then I thought a very similar thought, but on the other end of the spectrum. And I was like, I wonder if that's how sometimes people feel at church. I wonder if that's how sometimes people feel at Central City. 
I've not really been on the other side where someone else was casting the vision for community and to be the one who really wanted it. But I know for a fact that a lot of people come to church because that's what they want. They want to meet people. They want to network. They want to be in relationship. They want to build relationships, and they want to connect relationally. And so I don't know how to say it in a way that hit me when I was at the kindergarten orientation, but I just want to say it is not just about learning here at Central City Church. It's about building community, and not just amongst the kids, amongst each other. And I invite you to take that charge and run with it. I hope that's what people feel when they come to Central City Church. Um, I want you to have friends here. I want you to have people who become your people. And this is why it matters. It's really important for us to move beyond just being an observer to, to people who, um, to, to where you become a member of a community. It's really important where we move. You know, it's important to show up. It's important to be, it's, I think it's, it's I, I hope you're listening to sermons, you know, I, put a little bit of time into them, but you know, like all of that's really important, but it's, it's even, it, that's just the beginning. It's important first to show up and then it's important that we begin to build community. So I want to spend some time in scripture to talk about why it's important and what it looks like to move and why it matters to move from just a, a member of the crowd, an observer, to someone who's in a, in a relationship with other people. So we're going to do that by looking at Mark chapter 3. If you have your phone and you want to follow along, you can Google Mark chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 7, Mark 3. Um, otherwise, uh, you can listen as I read it. Mark chapter 3, and I'm going to read uh, verses, uh, we're going to work through verses 7 through 19. So here's, uh, here's what it says. Jesus is beginning his ministry. It's the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, um, and uh, he has some disciples, and here's what happens. Verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. So this was the setup. Jesus in the crowds uh, end up being a bit of a tension in Gospel of Mark. Jesus is always trying to get away from the crowds, you know, and trying to go kind of do his own things, and they just keep following. That's probably not what would happen if I walked away, but, um, you know, that's what Jesus does. And, uh, and so uh, he's trying to get away with the disciples, and then he, but the rest of the verse, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. This happens over and over again. There's this sort of tension between Jesus and the crowds. They keep following him. They keep wanting more stuff. They keep asking for more. They keep, verse 8, when they heard about all that he was doing, so here's what they know about Jesus. They know who, what Jesus did. They heard about what Jesus was doing. When they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea and Jerusalem and Idma and the regions across Jordan around Tyria and sit from all over the place. People wanted to meet this Jesus because they had heard about what he did. Verse 9. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. So he's so worried about his safety because the people wanted to touch him. They wanted, to, they wanted a little bit of the Jesus power. He was doing miracles, and et cetera. So he's like, get a boat ready so I can hop in it and I can get away if I have to. It's like the original security for a famous person. Verse 10. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Throughout the Gospel of Mark and uh, in some of the other Gospels, Jesus, uh, especially in Mark though, Jesus tells people to keep it a secret. Have you noticed this before? 
It's stumped theologians. Books get written about this. There's a number of theories. You can Google them. I won't share them. I'm going to share some of my own thoughts, but they're not even complete thoughts. But in the Gospel of Mark, there's this tendency for Jesus to do something miraculous. He heals somebody, casts out an evil spirit. He does something that would make him very popular. And he says, don't make me popular. Now, uh, as people who uh, many grew up in the evangelical church or are post-evangelical, this has caused a lot of stir because we should be talking Jesus up. That's the expectation. But Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, doesn't want anyone talking about Jesus. He says, don't tell anyone. It, it shows up over and over in the Gospel of Mark. And I want to just put that out there, and, and, and people have wrestled with this. I want you to wrestle with it. Why would Jesus say, don't go talking about me? Why, go, why don't go talking about me? Let's read on. Verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. So he gets away. He goes up onto a mountainside, away from the crowds. He calls those that he wanted to be with him, and they came. And he appointed 12, verse 14. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and then might, he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the sons Bonergus, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. In our culture, popularity is basically a god. And certainly an idol in our culture. There is not a single organization, there are very few organizations that I know of that aren't trying to get bigger and better and that aren't trying to use social media to increase influence, popularity, fame. Many of you probably work for companies or businesses that are, spend a lot of money in public relations and want to be viewed more positively. One of the ways in which Jesus changed the world, though, was to reject all of that. Not interested in being popular. What I'm interested is in discipleship. And those, are, those are different things. See, Jesus could have had a mega church right away. Throughout the Gospels, there was many opportunities where Jesus could have gathered a lot of people. But Jesus didn't because he knew that those are fleeting things that don't actually change the world. What changes the world is finding 12 people to do life with. He says, I called out 12 people to be with him. And that they might be sent out to preach. Friends, this is, if we were to boil down what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we could boil it down to this verse. If we had to cut out everything else, I'm not saying we should, but if we had to, we could boil it down to this verse. To be a disciple is one, to be with people who are following Jesus. Two, to then go out and to serve to preach, to, to do missions. That's, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it works in that order, by the way. 
you know, earlier he tells the crowds, don't go tell anyone about me. And part of it was Jesus wasn't interested in people knowing who Jesus was at that time. What Jesus was interested in is this idea of the kingdom of God and ushering it in. And so when he would send them out to preach, he was, they were preaching about the kingdom of God. But in order to understand what the kingdom of God is, you can't just be an observer. You can't be just a member of the crowd. You can't just show up and hear a sermon or experience a miracle. That doesn't prepare you enough. In order to be trusted to go out in the name of Jesus, you have to actually live with Jesus. Do, do you see? In order to really be trusted to go out and, and proclaim miracle, to, to do what Jesus is calling us to do in the world, we first have to live in community. In fact, I was looking at this, the 12 disciples, Jesus calls out these 12 disciples, he kind of rejects the crowd, he does this all the time in the Gospels, he, he kind of invests in his 12. There were other people as well, probably a group of at least 70, made up of men and women who were traveling with them, but then he invested specifically in the 12, and then even more so in about three or four. It's a great model for small groups. I was thinking about that, and I was like, you know, it's kind of like the church's first small group. But then that thought, you know, convicted me a little bit. This, Jesus' 12 disciples weren't the church's first small group. They were the church. What I mean is, is the church doesn't have small groups. Small groups are the church. You know, it's just Period. Any other gathering is just a crowd, and it's not bad. It's important to show up. It's important to, to hear Jesus' uh, name proclaimed and to experience God. Those are good things, and I hope that you experience God. And I hope you learn something when you come to worship. But the church is when we do life with other people. And what I love about this is he, they list the 12 disciples, and they're all very different. In fact, one of them ended up being not a super great guy. And I love this because you don't get to decide who you do life with sometimes, not in the church. See, if it was a social club, then you just pick people, you know, that, you know, you like being around. And that's a tendency when, you know, churches build small group models on that. And, and, and you know, we even do a little bit. Um, we're, we're not, you know, I'm not ashamed of that, but, but it's just a reality. We, it's easier to be around people that you get along with. But here, there were people, there were zealots. And, I mean, the, if you look at this list and you dig into it, these people would not normally get along but they belong to the church. They belong to a group together, like family. You don't often get to choose your family. And so they have to live together, a diverse group of people. They didn't get to decide who was going to be in their small group. Jesus had this relationship with the crowds. In Mark 8, 34, he goes on and he says, it says this, that then he called the crowd to him. So he gathers all these people around. They, they wanted a piece of Jesus. So they called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said this to them, both to the disciples and to the crowd. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If you want to move from just an observer, a member of the crowd, to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, it will take sacrifice. It, it will cost you. You know, the problem with crowds is they're so very fickle. These crowds love Jesus. 
Um, they loved him quite a bit, but uh, they uh, they kind of just went with what was popular. That's the problem with large groups of people. There's this mob rule and craziness like that. Um, they just kind of do what's popular. And so at the most of the Gospels, they are just, they love Jesus, and they want to make him king, and they want to make him a ruler. But you know, it's it's the crowds. If you look at the crowds as a character in the Gospels, which is how they're set up. If you Gospel of Mark, if you look at the crowd and just Google the word crowd in the Gospel of Mark, it's this character that keeps showing up throughout the whole story, and it's it's not something Jesus likes, and you kind of wondered at the beginning, why doesn't Jesus like the crowds? Like, these, like they like him. Well, by the end of the story, you know how the story ends? Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial. He's put before Pilate, the, the local ruler of the time, and they're like, hey, you know, do, do we want to let Jesus go or this other person go? And Mark 15 says, the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Mark 15, 11 goes on to say, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas uh, instead. Barabbas instead. So the crowds are very fickle. It reminds me of, uh, uh, I was a pastor in Athens for a while. And uh, the funniest thing is, is we, we served a, a, a predominantly campus ministry. We had a lot of people in campus. Um, and so there was a lot of uh, campus ministries. I, w- I won't name them, but you probably know what their names are. And, and the college students who are part of those campus ministries kind of moved in herds. They were kind of like mini crowds. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And what was really funny about it is, and this, this happened um, not so much when I was there, but I've heard stories. Um, they kind of move in herds. And so sometimes they'd be a part of Central Avenue. <laughs> and... And your attendance would go up by like 30, 40 people, which, you know, for a medium-sized church, like, that's a big jump. But then the other side of that coin is like sometimes they'd be like, no, we're going to go over to this church. And they would kind of all move. Like crowds are fickle. They just kind of like you just kind of go with what's popular. I mean, if you one of the, one of the biggest problems in the world today is that crowds are fickle, and they, our world just kind of shifts and moves in what's popular, and and, and 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 without rigorous conversation or relationship, we kind of just move with what is being told as we kind of move together, good, bad, indifferent. So one day we could be find Jesus to be very popular, and the next day we're saying, well, you really, you know, I'd rather you crucify him than this other guy. That's crowds. Disciples are something different. Disciples are an invitation to learn to do life differently. I might have shared this before, but um, in a couple of different ways, but I'm going to share it again. I am, uh, I'm engaged in some work in, the, in Grandview Heights around um, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, I've got a small group of people. I get the local community leaders and members that I get to, to kind of build relationships with. And trying to ask the question how we can help a, you know, 97% white suburb to really kind of embrace some policies and changes that could help this community be more open to more people. Um, and uh, there's a fair amount of resistance, and it's and it's often very difficult. And I know some people who do DEI work, and you know kind of what that's like. It's just, it's difficult in a variety of sectors. And so, um, uh, I found it struggle, and so our church has moved into a consultation with this guy, Robert Caldwell. He's going to be here next week, by the way. We're going to do a great conversation uh, around what it means to engage cross-culturally. He's going to share about himself, and um, um, I'm, I'm really fun. I'm really excited about it. And um, But we moved into a consultation with this uh, a black leader in Columbus who works with churches, and as part of that, I said, I've, I need some one-on-one time with you because I am lost and overwhelmed when it comes to this stuff. I mean, I'm working through... I'm doing my own deconstruction. I'm just like, this is confusing stuff, and I am ill-equipped to do this 
for myself, let alone like try to help like lead in a community. So I get I get an hour with him every month and then other times if I need it. And we've been talking and I've been asking him and he, he said this to me. Now, here's a guy who's been doing it for 20 years, trying to, you know, bring about social change. I was just like, how do you do it? And he said, you know, the best advice I wish someone would have given me 20 years ago when it came to bringing about change, whether it's in a community, whether it's in a church, whether it's in the world, the best advice that I wish someone would have told to me is simply this. Find your 12 people and invest in them over a long period of time. That's how you do it. Invest in them, build a relationship with them, invite them to be with you, do life together so that they can eventually do that as well. And I was like, man, that sounds really familiar, Robert. <laughs> he, uh, he referenced the master's way to, of evangelism. Anyone familiar with that classic? I actually haven't read it, but I am familiar with it. Yeah, a few of you? It's this idea that if you invest in a few who can invest in a few others, you'll change the world. That if Jesus had simply gathered a crowd of 3,000 and every year was able to bring a few more people, get a few more people baptized, that Christianity wouldn't have made it out of the first century. The numbers wouldn't have worked. It doesn't matter how big Jesus' church was to begin with. It just the numbers wouldn't have worked. But because Jesus invested in 12, who were eventually investing in 12 others, who eventually invested in 12 others, it becomes multiplication, and it becomes exponential, and it grows, and all of a sudden, a church of about 70 to 100, when all things were said and done, becomes what it is today. It happens when we choose to do life with other people. Some of my most significant relationships with people started in a small group. Uh, Finn's godparents, uh, they live in Defiance, Ohio, where, where um, I lived before moving to Athens and then to Columbus. They're, uh, they're in our first small group as a couple. They're great, great people. You know, once they even watched Finn for like five days so we could go to Puerto Rico. I mean, come on. That's, those are great people. God is inviting us to do life. And and I don't think God wants us just to learn more stuff. Oh, we live in such an educated society that loves to learn stuff. Love to learn things. I am not interested in a church that is interested in getting smarter. Disciples aren't smarter. That's not what makes you a better disciple. Now, there's some stuff I got to learn. Don't get me wrong, but it's about transformation. It's about learning something and then applying it. And that doesn't happen simply by listening. It happens by being in relationship with people you can get to know. It happens when you really kind of live with people. Um, we talk about that a lot in our small group training, what it means to ask questions that, that allow us to talk about our own experiences and really get to know each other and be vulnerable. So, friends, we are launching small groups. There's a lot of ways you can be in life. I, I, I might, if you consider Central City your church home, this is one of six things that we say you got to do it. I mean, this is just these are the things that make us who we are. This is this is what shapes us. And and uh, there's a lot of ways you can do it. Um, you can do it by uh, being a part of a ministry team. You know, I think of Denise and Little Bottoms. I mean, they're doing Little Bottoms, but you know, if you talk to Denise, like she's also caring. Like there's a community there, and people are doing life together. And when there's major events going on in someone's life, they talk about it and they pray 
pray for, you know, like there's community that's happening. So you could, it can happen in a ministry team. It can happen un, informally in a, in a, just a friend group. Uh, it can happen in a variety of different ways through serving. But one of the, the easiest ways in our primary, like organizational way of doing it is by offering small groups. So I'm excited. Um, uh, myself and, uh, Matt, in the back, have been working this last uh, spring. Matt joined us in January on small groups, and we put it out, and we and, and a number of people uh, agreed to kind of help uh, host small groups, and um, and we kind of pulled together everything that we learned from uh, from the Mazadas, Sarah and, and Guy. We did some conversations with them, and from uh, Alyssa, who was running small groups before um, she moved on t- to a different job. So we pulled her resources and a variety of other people's resources, and we've been able to spend. Uh, we had four different sessions with uh, a number of people interested in leading a small group and uh it was just such a i'm so excited to be able to then offer these to you this fall so the way it works it's the last sheet we have uh we have basically five groups that are going to be available and a lot of those uh, group leaders are here if you want to uh, chat with them and all of them are available to read more about online but you've got it in front of you so i'm going to run through this list uh very uh briefly and uh the first one is the grandview home group claren garrett right there where were you in this picture? Because this is an awesome picture. Man, that's jealous. Anyways, Claire and Garrett, you can read about their group there. They love to talk to you if you're interested. Uh, they're not sure of the day of the week yet. It will depend on people's preferences and stuff. But it's going to be a, a weekly small group starting in the fall. And you can see that they have a first event uh, July 21st at 7 at their house, uh, Cookout in Cornhole. Uh, good alliteration there. And uh, um, so you can learn more about that, and, and, and Garrett's email address is on there. And then 701 at the 107, which is such a great name. Joanna's here, and Kevin's with uh, the kids. Um, and so also not sure of the day of the week, uh, but uh, they have their first event on, on June 29th, which is uh, this is it the next week, June 29th, uh, Tuesday at 701. Uh, and that'll be a weekly uh, traditional small group at their home in Franklinton. And then on the back, we've got... Uh, Leanne Perrin and, uh, and, and, and Julie as well as a part of it. And um, a ladies small group, they're going to meet uh, 6.30 of the first, third, and fifth Thursdays. I think cheese and wine is involved and uh, some good discussion and conversation. So they would love to chat with you if you're interested in that. Guys time, Jeremy Gott, he's here. It's going to be monthly. It'll be uh, uh, kind of, you can read it, but it'll be, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a brewery or canoeing. Uh, you can make this your group if you want to come every month, or you can just kind of come when you want to. Uh, but if, if you're interested at all in coming at some point, you want to make sure you join that list. And the last one, Bethany, she couldn't be here today, but um, this is something we're going to try out and see if there's interest. Uh, we've talked a lot about mental health. Uh, we know there's a lot of people in our community who've struggled with anxiety and depression, and she really just wanted to create a space where people could show up. Uh, she's still figuring out how often it'll be. It might be monthly. It might be every other week. But you can just show up, and um, she's going to lead a conversation, a discussion that'd be similar to a support group uh, where you can share what's going on, what are you struggling with, how you feeling, and, and people can kind of just be a good support group. And it's really just a place where if you need to talk to somebody or you just need that connection, um, that you just uh, taking advantage of it and you're showing up to be able to talk about it. The last thing I want to say about this uh, before we kind of end our time um, is um, we do a, a, a lot of things using the planning center and they have an app and uh, groups are going to be using this app uh, so I encourage you to download the app it is called church center you can log in with it if you registered for today 
um, you used uh, the website version of it, or you might have done it on the app, but you, you can do it on the app as well. Groups, that's where you'll uh, request to join a group. You can click on ask to join, put a little message. One of these group leaders, they're already set up there. And uh, messages will go there. There's actually a messaging portion in the app. And group events will be in the app as well. So you can keep track of when you're meeting, or especially for like the guys group and, and things that are a little less regular, you can see when the next events are and follow along. That same app has a directory. It has a place to give. Um, it has the church calendar. It has um, a number of other things. And so once you log in, you can use that app for a variety of things in the church, and it all talks to each other. So I do encourage you, uh, you can see that on the very back, to download the app. Um, a lot of these groups are going to be kicking off in the fall, but we really wanted to have this information ready today because we knew we'd be talking about it, and a number of them have events planned uh, this summer where you can where you can connect. So I do encourage you. Um, we are coming out of quarantine, and uh, there is no better way to get into the rhythm of being with people than in the context of a small group. The choosing to do life with people, uh, whatever that looks like, whether it's through one of these or through another way, um, I really encourage you to participate in it. So with that, I'm going to pray. And um, I think we're going to sing a song after I pray. And then there's popsicles. And the kids are going to come back for that. I think uh, that we're notifying them right now that we're closing up. And, uh, and they're good popsicles, like the real juice ones. So very excited about this. Uh, donated by somebody. Uh, connected with Molly Rule. So anyways, uh, we've got a bunch of them. So let's pray. Uh, God, we come before you and we give you thanks. Lord, when we look at the world and all the things that we wish were different, we look at ourselves and we look at all the things that we wish were different, uh, give us grace and give us community. For it's in community that we find not only the change that we need, but the acceptance. The ability to, to love one another, the ability to also then grow into the people you've called us to be. Lord, I especially lift up the person right now that's thinking about possibly being in a group, maybe for the first time or the first time in a very long time, and they're nervous. Maybe it's like they're sitting outside that poetry night, and they're like, I don't know. I've never done this before. Lord, give us strength. Give us the ability to step out in faith that we might know one another. Help us to find those 12, those 12 people we can do life with, invest in, grow together, so that we might experience the kingdom of God and that we might preach, deliver, show the world what it looks like. In your name we pray. Amen.